I mean, our our first week in service, I was driving to to go uh, to go post up for lunch uh, by Santa Monica Beach, and as I'm getting ready to turn on Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, I turn around and realize that my deep fryer is on fire while I'm driving. While I'm driving. I was like, something smells weird. And I'm like, what, what is that? What is that? And then like, I see flames coming out of the, out of the deep fryer. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Atlanta Foodcast. Neil and Samir Idnani are two people that I identify with. And not because I have also opened a successful multi-unit casual Indian concept, but because these two are brothers. And I have an older brother myself, and I know what it's like to do things in life where you know that you've got one another's back, where you rarely even have to communicate with words, where teamwork is never a thought because it's all that there is. And it's just a thing that brothers have. And I love seeing that in Neil and Samir, and especially it shows in just how much they've grown their restaurants, known to the greater good here in Atlanta as nonstop. And that's N-A-A-N-S-T-O-P. So you can kind of get the play on words that they're going for here. But now these two started the concept as a food truck years ago, but not here in the South. And I don't want to spoil the story for you, but the tale of how they have come to be is quite the tale indeed. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Neil and Samir Idnani, founders of Nonstop. So um, one of the things that I ask every single one of my guests, so in this case, I love that I have two people on the microphone. It's usually only one person, but I, I get to hear from both of your perspectives. And knowing that you guys were growing up in the same household, and there's a little bit of age difference between you two, like right around like four years, I think you said. Four, four years. years, yep. Yeah, so I want to know what was it like growing up and who was cooking for you guys? So where was home and who cooked for you guys growing up? So home for us uh, is in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, that's where our family, we grew up, we went to middle and high school, and you'll start elementary school there, um, and it was always mom who was cooking for us. Yeah, I used to do my homework in the kitchen. Yeah. On the yeah. kitchen table, and so that's how I started learning how to cook, was my mom would always be cooking dinner, and uh, my mom's vegetarian, but she would cook meat for the family, and so she would give me something and just say, here, taste it. And from a really young age, I started learning how to discern, you know, hey, this needs a little more chili or this needs some more cumin or something like that. I was uh, giving mom the feedback to make sure things are salted right or whatever because she would cook it for us and not taste it herself. Man, so if your mom's a vegetarian, and w were you guys, like, immediately interested in eating meat at a young age or were you guys more like the vegetarian route? You we know, I don't, I don't remember ever really thinking about it too much. For my mom, it was just a personal thing with her, with her faith and she wanted to keep vegetarian, but uh, she didn't really, she knew it's kind of hard, especially 20, 30 years ago. It was a lot harder to eat vegetarian than it is now. And with us going to school and stuff, you know, she didn't want us to be like too odd or different. <laughs> yeah. So she was like, <laughs> let them eat whatever they need to eat at school to like appear normal. Um, and, uh, you know, we would eat a lot of vegetarian stuff at home. But right. when you eat Indian food, you can eat vegetarian and not really, really realize that you're doing so. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, I think that's been my favorite 
approach to Indian cuisine is that very little of it has been around actual, I mean, like the protein has always been vegetable protein, which mm-hmm. I've always appreciated, you know, and it's, it's made me appreciate things like dal and then where it's, it's the makeup of what's on your plate, not necessarily just like the focus on like, you know, it's a plate of ribs and that's what you're getting. You know, it's, it's like the, it's a palette right. of, of flavors, but yeah. So what, what kind of eaters were you guys growing up? Oh. Uh, Big, we, yeah, big we, chunky kids. We were big chunky kids. <laughs> <laughs> we ate pretty much everything. Oh, right. um, in our household, there was a rule, whatever's on the table, you have to eat some of it. So eggplant, like I still hate eggplant to this day, but it was something that I would eat every time that we cooked it. Um, and then still, I will go out and try it because that was instilled in us from a young age that you need to learn to try things that are new. Um, and then, of course, we just ate junk food. Um, And and our parents didn't grow up with plenty. Yeah. So when they could provide for us, having food for us to eat, it was something that, you know, they were like, yeah, sure, go nuts. Because it was something they didn't have growing up. And so um, mom was cooking all the time. She was always trying to feed us something, as as most immigrant moms will will do. Yeah. So you guys were actually born in the States? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Man, so, but I know that you mentioned this, so like, you know, trying to give you guys like some some normalcy in your life but was your mom cooking cuisine of her youth and her upbringing as well as trying to adapt to crazy north american like i don't know stuff out of a box (laughs) just (laughs) gross gross stuff like most kids are growing up with well a little bit of both you know almost every night we had some home-cooked made from scratch indian meal with um you know handmade rotis and and steamed rice and and whatever vegetable or you know meat curry that my mom was making but we would still eat craft macaroni and cheese out of the box sometimes <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some sort of magic that's in that box with the neon orange oh my God. absolutely carcinogenic the, the cheese powder yeah mm-hmm. i mean then like you get you know like you start you start expanding your knowledge, and you're like, I can use this cheese powder on something else, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna put it into a bowl of ramen. That was, yeah, yeah. those Maru would be my college oh my years, the experimental yes. years. <laughs> like, I'm gonna reserve the noodles and just, or just throw them away, and right. just like all I need is a cheese powder. Like, I'm just gonna put it into other <laughs> stuff, you know. But th- there is something incredibly wonderful about that craft mac and cheese. Even today, it's, oh. it's still just good, you know. But I mean, it, it, and also still gross. It's a weird duality. Like, you have to just live it. You know, like I know that this is terrible. But it's also just really good. Yep. You know? Yep, so, absolutely. Yeah. So you guys were big eaters then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We uh, we were spoiled by mom's cooking, um, and we would always eat a ton. But uh, like Neil said, because our parents uh, didn't have a lot when they were growing up, they would feed us anything and everything we wanted. So nutrition at some times, uh, in breakfast, and particularly like Saturday mornings, nutrition went out the door. Yeah. We would sit there and eat an entire box, a package of soft batch cookies before breakfast. Or like nice. Oreos <laughs> for breakfast or something. Yeah. So that's something we've had to sort of relearn, teach yeah. ourselves is, is okay, <laughs> you know, we, we, can, we can do this in moderation. And actually, if we kind of stick to what mom actually cooked for us, right. uh, life became a lot more healthier. Yeah. More yeah. healthier. I said yeah. that. Yeah. More, well, yeah. What, more healthier. More, more healthy. More yeah, healthier. More healthy. I don't know. We're not going to get into grammar. Grammar is, grammar is like the next <laughs> overrated next subject that I just don't care about, really. So, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. You know, I want to know a little bit more. Like, tell me about your guys' like family history, and I mean, it's it's just it's so wonderful to know like the parts of 
I mean, like, and, and this is really cool, and I'm really excited to get into it in, in our conversation, but, like, your mom's samosa recipe and how that's made it into the concept. But tell me a little bit more about, like, you know, where, where your whole family is from, like, how, how you guys' parents decided to move to Nashville. Like, give me a little bit of, like, the, the quick background on your guys' family story. So we are um, a sect of Indian called Sindhi, and that state is now in Pakistan. Gotcha. So when India and Pakistan split up into their own separate countries, our family was displaced and moved. Um, so our families both ended up in Bombay. And then my father moved over in 1978 with $15 in his pocket. Wow. Um, and started out just working like pizza delivery, putting furniture together, whatever he had odd some, jobs he had some he factory could. jobs and yeah. grocery bagger jobs, just like getting on his feet. Wow. That's, um, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he really worked hard and instilled that work ethic in us from a young age. Yeah. Man. So what, where, where did food make it into your guys' lives? I mean, like, you're growing up in Nashville. I mean, and, and how long were you guys there? Like, how long was Nashville home? We, uh, we, we were both born in Georgia. Okay. And we ended yeah. up moving to Nashville. I was four or five and I stayed there through college. That was kind of home through elementary, middle, high school, and everything until we left for college. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so we, we had a very interesting blend of uh, Southern culture <laughs> from all of our friends at school and everything. And then at home was, you know, a, just a time warp of walking into Mumbai. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, you immediately, the, the house would smell different. You know, it was it was very clear when my friends came over that this was not what they were accustomed to. Uh, it was a little bit of a different environment. Yeah. One of the things that we love about the South and part of the commonality between the cultures, though, is the hospitality. Right. Um, and so when we did live out in L.A., we really wanted to move back to the South in part for the hospitality that and the friendliness of the people here in the South. Yeah. See, but it sounds like to me like the, the house that you guys grew up in, like I would have wanted you guys to be my best friends. So like we would play <laughs> video games and everything and it would just go on for too long and be like, I mean, do you? Does Ben just need to stay for dinner? I'd be like, yep, sure do. That'd be great. Oh, Thank you very much. We had friends that would come and just open up the fridge and start rifling through the fridge trying to see, <laughs> like, what did mom make this week and, and uh, just grab whatever they wanted. And then we had friends who were afraid to try anything. Yeah, yeah. some of our like, friends would just sit there tight-lipped and just be like, mm-mm, yeah. mm-mm, not going to happen. Yeah. And then some of them would just... Take all the Tupperwares. I take all the Tupperwares out of the fridge and spread them all out on the counter. Yeah, and you know, like, what's this? What's this? What's we, this? And make themselves a plate and help themselves. Yeah, we could usually win them over with taco night. Oh yeah. Um, the kebab that we serve in the restaurant. Uh huh. It was that same spice profile, but in ground meat, and we used yeah. turkey meat at the time. Nice. And so when you do that in like American tacos, then people came around and they're like, ah. Oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. Isn't it amazing what you can do with ground turkey? Like, you can do it just so surreptitiously mm-hmm. where people are like, man, this is really good beef. And you're like, yep, and you're kind of an idiot. But you're right. <laughs> it's delicious. You know, but, a lot yeah, of people you know, assume our totally kebab is beef. And right. turkey is just a blank slate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we just give it to them and say, hey, just try it. <laughs> Here, this is this is what you're looking for. Just yeah. give this a taste. And then, I mean, but you can even do that with some of the meat substitutes out there where people are like, man, how do you prepare that chicken? You're like, oh, it's a secret, family secret, can't tell you. <laughs> but uh, but people just have the assumption. Yeah. Like, it's just so funny. Yeah, we haven't done a whole lot with meat substitutes, um, mostly because I find that Indian vegetarian food is so rich. Yeah. I just personally don't feel like it's necessary. If yeah. I can eat 
if I want to eat vegetarian or vegan and I can do so by just eating real food, uh, I just prefer not to introduce some sort of meat substitute or alternative kind of yeah. thing in there. Yeah. It's almost like a novelty sometimes. Like in our household, I mean, like my, we're, we're all primarily vegetarian diet. Like it's very rare that I will eat animal protein of any kind. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it's almost like a novelty now of like, oh my gosh, like this is a really fun meat substitute and it's made completely out of soy or, you know, mushrooms or something. And it, like, it's just kind of like a kitschy thing now. And it's like, tastes good. Yeah. It definitely tastes yeah, good. It tastes but good. Yeah. It's de but it's not like a, every single day, like we have to have some sort of like replacement for animal protein in our household. Right. But I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people live that way. It's like they have to have it, but that's no way to live, man. Just eat vegetables. Like, right. Exactly. Get stuff out of the earth. It tastes great. Exactly. <laughs> um, but man, like jumping a little bit back into like just how you guys were growing up. So you're growing up and uh, where'd you guys go to college? So did you guys split off? I mean, because I know that you're, you're, Samir, you're just a, a little bit older by yep. four years. So where'd you go to school? And then Neil, you're st still back in Nashville, right? Yeah, we, we split off, but not really. Uh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I went to college at Georgia Tech. Oh, gotcha. So I was only four hours away yeah. and I'd come home at least once a month. Neil would come down to Atlanta and hang out with the college crowd yep. while he was still in high school. Yep. Good for you, man. Samir Me was, and my dorky friends. Samir was dorky <laughs> enough to let his, his like 15-year-old brother hang around with him in college and let me just hang out in his dorm room until like 2 a.m. So and sometimes I'd go down there for a weekend or if I had a summer break or something. That's the life, though. You were probably the coolest person of all your friends still in high school. <laughs> no, I was also a super dork. Well, but I mean, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go hang out with all my college friends at Georgia Tech <laughs> and I have to drive down to Atlanta to do that. Like, right. I would look at you like, dude, Neil's like, Neil's legit, man. Don't mess with that guy. That's he knows right. he, he's like older already <laughs> because he hangs out with college kids. <laughs> but I went to college in Chicago. Oh, and right then uh, I went to the University of Chicago, and when I went up to college, Samir had gotten a job in the suburbs of Chicago. So, oh, yeah. God, man, that's a really interesting way for you guys' stories to, like, kind of remerge. And we didn't really plan it like that, but it just happened to work out. And we're like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So then I could still, you know, once a month, I just drive out to his house in the suburbs and hang out for the weekend and play video games and stuff. Yeah. That's well, when things kind of reversed, and I would hang out with Neil's dorky friends at college. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I've already done this. I know how to do it. It's really fun. Yeah. Well, which suburb were you were you in in Chicago? Joliet, Illinois. Yeah, I know Joliet. Yeah. yeah. I've spent a, a decent amount of time in Chicago. I mean, I've had so many friends and family that went to, um, they graduated from up in Great Lakes, mm -hmm. uh, basic for, for the Navy. Mm -hmm. And uh, the good balance of being there in the summertime and in the wintertime. And that was like, that's actually one thing I want to know. How'd you guys fare with Oh, winters in Chicago. I, I hated winters in Chicago. It's awful, dude. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's beyond it's like, terrible. There it's were, miserable. It's dark at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And it's just you, nobody wants to go outside. You're trudging through black snow for months at a time. Yeah. And working at a uh, hydraulics manufacturing facility, there, I would go weeks without seeing the sun in the wintertime. Yeah. And I just don't do well with that. Yeah. yeah. After I, college, I was working for a hedge fund. And... Uh, it was dark when I'd get in, mm -hmm. you know, mark, keeping market hours, getting in a little bit before markets open and staying a little bit late. It would be dark and my, uh, my building where my, the closest window to me was like facing an alley in another building. So there was no natural sunlight coming in there. Yeah. And it was just dark when I got to work, dark when I left and cold all the time. I like and to tell people <laughs> that my people were not built for that kind of weather. Yeah. No, oh, you're right. And this uh, this entire episode is brought to you by the Chicago Bureau of Tourism. Uh, go to <laughs> Chicago. Go to Chicago in the wintertime if you really want to know what it's like to be alive. Um, it's just brutal, dude. It's so hard. I, I've never. Oh, the summers are incredible. Well, and I've yeah. never I've never understood that how cold could be so painful. Mm -hmm. Just so 
downright awful. You know, like I feel like my eyelashes are falling out kind of cold. Like nobody, <laughs> nobody should have to experience that unless you live in like, you know, Siberia. But right. anyway, um, but man, so you guys are actually living kind of together in Chicago. And so tell me where that kind of the story goes from there. Like where does, where does nonstop kind of enter your guys' story? Well, uh, it, it, you know, it's something that we'd always been talking about. Like we talk about our friends, how they'd come over and they wouldn't know what anything was called. And some of them would just dig through and eat stuff. Uh, those were the more adventurous eaters. And most of them would just be like, uh-uh, I don't know what this is. It looks weird. Um, or maybe even if they, they finally would try it and they would love it, but they would never go out and eat Indian food. And so we always talked about growing up, you know, how do we change that? How do we make Indian food easier for people to wrap their minds around? And that just sort of noodled around the back of our minds for years. Mm -hmm. um, and then Samir ended up going to business school. Um, I went to the University of Southern California. Gotcha. And that was right around the time of the food truck revolution. Uh, it was maybe I started business school as the food truck revolution had kicked up steam. And um, so I was making nonstop the subject of business plans and competitions at, uh, at USC. And I thought a really great way to make this come to reality and to test out the concept would be to start it as a food truck because the infrastructure was there in LA at the time. Yeah, and meanwhile, I was, um, I got laid off from my, head, from my hedge fund job, you know, when markets tanked. And I hated the job, I, was, I just said, great, awesome. Somebody just paid me to quit my job. And um, I started thinking about what I really wanted to do. So I figured- So uh, selling parking outside oh, of for a little while. Wrigley Field. I lived in Wrigleyville, <laughs> Wrigleyville and to make ends meet. Did you really? I, yeah. I, I did parking in Wrigleyville. Nice. I like found an empty piece of land for sale and I called the guy up and I said, hey, can I rent it from you like month to month? And if you, if you find a buyer, you can kick me out, just give me 30 days. And you know, so for a summer I just like parked cars and took down $40 cash per car and I'd go watch a Cubs game. 40 bucks? 40 per bucks. Car. It was literally... I've never parked a car in Chicago. I've always ever just ridden the L and I don't... But 40... Is that like a competitive? I don't know. Yeah. I had a great... I had a great uh, situation. It was right across the street from the main gate of Wrigley Field. There's a bar, Harry Carey's, the like famous yeah. bar, right next door to Harry Carey's. Oh my gosh, I might have like walked by you in Chicago. <laughs> I just, I was like, don't park your car there. It's forty bucks. <laughs> I'm well, like screwing your entire entrepreneurial like. <laughs> and we all had a VIP tier for people who wanted valet. He'd add an extra ten bucks and valet it for him. That's a deal on man. a lot that was like ten feet by ten feet. What kind of cars are people driving in Chicago? You know, all sorts of whatever. Uh, you know, I, I drove all sorts of beaters. It was nothing fancy. Yeah. It was like a little, literally a piece of dirt. Yeah. And Extra just, 10 bucks for you, but I'll, I'll park the Maserati for free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did that for a summer, and I took a job at Jimmy John's. Nice. Um, I, I found like an assistant manager trainee program. I was making less than minimum wage, and just I learned every position, you know, nice. how, and how to... This was my business school, sort of. While Samir was doing the sort of academic side, I was just learning how to operate a restaurant from the ground up. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you're in Southern California, mm -hmm. and you just get laid off from your job. So you move out to L.A., Neil? Not so, at me. I did that for about a year. And okay. I, I came out for Samir's graduation from business school. Oh. And I was just telling him, I was like, so I've been doing this for about a year. I've learned a ton. It's great. I like it. But there's not really anything for me to move on to. Both my roommates were moving out, and I was just trying to figure out what was my next move. Um, and Samir said, why don't you move out here? We'll open up a food truck. We've been talking about this for a while. And then he walked into his graduation ceremony. And he came out, and I gave him a hug. I said, congrats, bro. I'm moving to L.A. 
And I flew back to Chicago. I turned in my two weeks' notice at Jimmy John's and and packed up my car and just drove out drove out to L.A. Oh, this nice. was literally two hours later. <laughs> <laughs> the decision was made in two hours. <laughs> but that's like that's the sign of. I mean, I just think that there's such a level of comfort, understanding, and what's next when you're brothers. Mm-hmm. I have a brother that's 17 months older than me. And there's just always that, like, I don't know. It's, it's a strange connection. But, I mean, it, it's, it's very easy you know, to understand, like, from one set of brothers to another. It's just like, right. you know, like, I got your back. Yeah. And, like, yeah, this might not work, but we're going to do it together. And, you know, like, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really cool. You know, uh, we're fortunate that we've always had the unconditional backup of a brother. And that's huge when you're trying to start a business. It's, yeah. it's so stressful and so many late nights. And just to have someone who you can lean on, someone who just gets it and is no matter what, no matter how crappy day it is or whatever, they're, they're going to stand behind you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so the decision is made that Neil is coming to L.A., Mm-hmm. And the food truck is definitely happening. Mm-hmm. So this is great because this is like a perfect, like the the genesis story of the concept of nonstop. Mm-hmm. So, and I love this about your story. And I remember hearing this from you guys years ago. And I, I don't think it really like fell on, on, on my ears at that time of thinking like, oh yeah, I mean, it started as a food truck and now they've got brick and mortar, like downtown Atlanta and also one in Buckhead and... But I, I didn't. I don't think at the time I realized that you guys had started it as a food truck in a completely different part of the country. Yep. Yep. So talk to me about like how how everything started. Like what was it like, and you know what, what I, you guys obviously learned a lot. It was <laughs> it was uh, it was a grind on the food truck. Frankly, it's uh, a lot of hours for. Uh, and logistics are a nightmare. You're moving from one place to the next. You might be in. Uh, at the beach for lunch and then 50 miles away for dinner um, and navigating LA traffic, trying to go and through all that. Trying to schedule your team. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you got to take the bus to meet me here today, but tomorrow you got to meet me in a completely different place. Dude, yeah. Or meet me at the yard where the truck is parked and ride with me and then all the way back only to take a bus an hour in a different direction or something like that. So it's logistically complicated. I mean, it was a ton of fun. Yeah. We did these festivals. We would be, you know, pulled up on the beach, slinging nonwiches and mom samosas. And, you know, some days it was, it was, it was awesome. It was a dream come true. Uh, and some days it was super hectic and, you know, you're trying to get through traffic to get to some place on time and yeah. you got people who are meeting you on site and everything's got to come together the right way. Yeah. I mean, our, our first week in service, I was driving to, <laughs> to, go, uh, to go post up for lunch uh, by Santa Monica Beach. And as I'm getting ready to turn on Santa Monica Boulevard, uh, I turn around and realize that my deep fryer is on fire while I'm driving while I'm driving. I was like, something smells weird. And I'm like, what, what is that? What is that? And then like, I see flames coming out of the, out of the deep fryer and I like throw the thing in park and I'm trying to, it's a grease fire. I'm trying to stamp it out. Oh, and this, no. the truck is a big, oh, you've got a giant propane tank on there too. Yeah. Not just all the oil. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. gasoline, scary propane, yeah. fryer oil. And you know, I'm trying to like stamp it out. It's only been, this is our second service. I think our second day in operation. Get and out. I didn't even know where the fire extinguisher was yet. Neil's sitting there and throwing salt. I'm like throwing on. salt at a fire, <laughs> trying to smother it. It's not working. I'm burning my hands. And just when I get ready to, you know, just ab- abandon and people are honking at me because the light's green and they're like, why aren't you moving? You know, like, and uh, like, my deep fryer is on fire. I'm sorry. I can't go. And, and, yeah, I don't know if it's cause there's, there's smoke billing out of my truck or if cause 
it's they're late they're late for work oh my god <laughs> and so i jump out of the truck and i'm telling people to like clear away and out of nowhere this guy comes just sprinting across the intersection with two fire extinguishers and just throws one to me and we put it out did anyone get this on video? I mean, so what year? <laughs> but what what year was this? This would have been like what 20, this is 2010, 2011, 2011. So seven years ago. Yeah. Maybe someone, I don't know, video capability was like built into iPhones at this time. I can't remember. Maybe. Didn't no one got this on no video? One, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't yet in the era where as soon as something interesting happens, right? People take out their phone before helping. I know someone <laughs> drops a pencil now and they're like, I got a video of this, right? You know, <laughs> that's an incredible story. So that's just a taste of what what the food truck was. And this like. was this was service day number two. Service day number two. Goodness gracious! So what happened after that? Did you make it? <laughs> I mean, we made it immediately after that. The fire truck showed up. Oh man! Like thirty seconds later. God. Um, you know, so we had to regroup, clean every. We just prepped for like our whole you know next couple days and you know big events coming up and kind of had to toss all this food and reprep everything and it was just you know it was a grind some days but it was a great way for us to just get out there and feed people and just let them try it out yeah Yeah, and we'd never operated a real kitchen before right neil had experience uh jimmy john's but there was nothing cooked so having a kitchen having um, so we know the layout for what we're going to do when we open a store, learning, visiting different parts of the city, learning who likes your food, who doesn't, and how you can tweak the recipes so that people enjoy the experience even more um, helped a lot as we got our start. Yeah, yeah. I spent about a six-month stint on another food truck yeah. before while we were getting our permits and you know working yeah. on our recipe creation. I worked on a bacon-themed food truck called Lardon. Were these guys on a on a food truck show by chance? They were or on um, Great Food Truck Race, or they weren't on Great Food Truck Race. They were on um, uh, Conan O'Brien one time. Okay, and, and I'm sure they were on a couple. I, other I things. know I it saw was, them on a television show. It was awesome food. That's awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. So, so you guys. Well, and the, first of all, like I would want to say, like seeing someone on a food truck, especially you're at a festival or a food truck rally. Uh, you know, when you're looking for something that's the differentiator, like, cause you can go up and like, someone's going to be doing tacos. Someone's going to be doing, you know, probably like, well, nowadays it's going to be like some like grain bowl. And then someone's obviously doing burgers or barbecue, but mm-hmm. like, dude, if someone's like showing up with a non witch, like that's number one, like there's no question. Like I'm going for that. Like I, I can have some sort of like regional Indian flavor rolled up in non and I can walk away with it. Like that's amazing. So well, it was it was a blessing and a curse because no one knows what a non-witch is, and a lot of people don't even know what Indian food is. So we, yeah. you know, a lot of people would be super enthusiastic like you are, and a lot of people might look at us, pass us right by. So we learned a lot about how to bring people in, how to grab people, how to get them to try something for the first time that's really different. That's that's really been the biggest challenge for us all along. Yeah, and one thing, and I want to spend some time there because I think what you guys have done with nonstop is, I mean, obviously the concept, you know, where you know it's um it's kind of like the make line mentality. You walk in, you order a build, and then you can add things to it. You can make it more of a platter. Mm-hmm. There's a few side items, but I think what you guys have really done, and I don't know if this was what you guys intended with nonstop from the beginning, but you guys really did. Um, an amazing job. I mean, I remember when I moved here and eating at nonstop, I believe downtown would have been the first place that mm-hmm. I went That's to first open before this one, before the Buckhead location opened where we're sitting right now. Um, but it seemed to make the flavors and it, it seemed to dispel a lot of the confusion and it made the cuisine that much more approachable and accessible. 
And I don't even know if you guys were, I don't know if you got, while your fryer is on fire right. <laughs> trying to get to Santa Monica, you're like, look at all this amazing thing. You know, look at this amazing thing that we're doing. But that, that's totally what you guys have done. Well, that's, that's, it's, it's great to hear it because that's what we've been trying to do is really demystify, make Indian food comfortable, approachable. Um, people who aren't familiar with Indian food, it's a, a safe space for them to come in and try something. But at the same time, people who know and love Indian food already know that they can get good, bold, authentic flavors. And we want to make it as easy to eat Indian food as it is to get a burger or a slice of pizza or a burrito. And that's ultimately what we're doing. And it's nice to hear that, you know, the, the menu kind of reflects that and the approach makes it easier to come walk in and try it for the first time. Yeah. And I mean, I, I truly, I mean, uh, Indian cuisine as a whole is is probably one of my favorites and it's easily the one that I'll probably choose out of a lineup and um but uh you know I, I think what's what's amazing is like so many people they just have this this idea that um the only thing that Indian cuisine is made up of is curry, curry. and curry is one thing it's yeah. mono it's, it's monosyllabic it's, <laughs> it's like it's just a thing it drives me nuts it, but like you need to look at curry as like that is an another dimension of Indian cuisine mm -hmm. And it is probably the most crazy, colorful palette that you don't understand that it is. Well, and there's so many different kinds. Yeah. Well, the first, it, it's here's my spiel. I'll give you my spiel on curry yeah. before we go Please any further. Um, curry is a made-up sort of British word, right, for something that's in a stewy kind of sauce. Right. And so, it's kind of applied broadly across all of Asia. Um, you know, if you're in Thailand, you get Penang curry, red curry, green curry of varying levels of spiciness. Some have peanut sauce, some don't. Some are made with coconut milk. Uh, and in India, the same applies as well. There's so many different kinds of curry. Um, and the, the label of it being curry is something that is not from India. Uh, so it's something, a label that we use. We know what people are trying to say. And it, it's sort of, we wrestle with it because we wouldn't have, you know, growing up, people said, oh, you must eat a lot of curry. I was like, well, not really. I don't really know what that means. Uh, curry for us was a, a, stew, a like a stew, almost like a gumbo, yeah. made with uh, chickpea flour and like black-eyed peas, and green beans, and lentils, and um, you know all sorts of veggies, and it served over rice. That's what we call. That's what a Cindy curry is, and it's like greenish. It's almost like a dal, mm -hmm. but it's like more of a gumbo with lots of vegetables and in it and stuff like that. And every state in India has a different uh, dish that they call a curry. Right. Um, in addition to all the different types that Neil was talking about, there's also that signature dish from that state that they call curry. So if you have Punjabi curry, that's very different from Sindhi curry. Right. And so that's my that's my <laughs> spiel on curry. Yeah, but I think it, it's a good thing because I think more people need to understand that curry is not a single thing, mm -hmm. and there are regional aspects of curry. There are regional you know iterations of this dish. It might be, you know, in in one instance it, it might be more like a gumbo, and another one it might be a lot thicker. Mm -hmm. You know, like it might be a completely different color. You know, but I don't think that North America has I've not. It's a disservice that you know there's just curry powder at the grocery mm -hmm, store. Like, mm -hmm. what in the what in the hell does that even mean to someone who has a completely different idea of like what curry actually is to them <laughs> and how they grew up and which part of India they're from? Right. Right. You know. 
So that's so. Uh, that's a little bit of a, a, a pain point. We just try to encourage people will come in often and saying, does this have curry in it? And for some of them, they're saying, <laughs> well, it has uh, it. They're saying that they're asking that because they, they think they don't like curry. And right. Some of them are asking that because they do like curry or what they know is curry. Right. And so we as part of our being comfortable and approachable. We, we coach our team to say there's many different kinds. Yeah. How about trying a sample? Right. You can try anything you want. It's right in front of you. We'll be happy to give you a sample of anything. That's awesome. Um, so that's kind of how we try to navigate those waters because it's it's a very loaded term for us. Yeah. Um, but we just want people to feel comfortable trying it. So whatever you know Indian food to be, hey, that's cool. I'll work with your vocabulary. Yeah. But just try it. Here's here's what I think you might like. And that's what we try to coach people to do. Yeah. And, that, and that's a great thing just to kind of segue into. So talk to me about just the nonstop concept as it is today. So someone's walking through the front door, like, what are you experiencing? Um, it's a, well, we try to. Somebody's walking in the door uh, <laughs> to check out nonstop the first time you're getting a build your own experience uh, with Indian flavors. So you build a rice bowl, a non-witch or a salad. You choose from a handful of different proteins that we make like chicken tikka masala or uh, gobi cauliflower, paneer. These are all classic dishes the way our mom would have made them at home. Um, and we just present it in kind of a build-your-own format. So everything's made from scratch. Um, everything is mom's recipe, authentic, home style. Um, we just do it kind of quick service style. Yeah, you can, you can tailor it if you like spicy. We can make it spicy. If you don't like spicy, we can not make it spicy. And that's one of the things that often intimidates people about Indian food, too, is they think it's going to blow their face off. Right. And so, um, you know, we try to try to make things that are that meet, meet everybody on what level, whatever level they're at. Yeah. I think what I love about Indian spice is that typically it's a really slow burn. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're not like just eating a dish that you're just biting into a handful of bird's eye chilies. Right. You know, like that just got really loud. Someone is like vacuuming oh that's a blender that's, <laughs> that's a blender. blender they're making they're, they're making, making chutney, chutney fresh. nice mm -hmm. i like that yeah in, in case we didn't mention it we're literally sitting like five feet from the kitchen <laughs> so but um but one thing i mean the one thing i really love about the menu is that you know talking a little bit about the non-witch you guys actually have a tandoor oven sitting right over there yeah and yeah. i mean so you, you guys are like mixing you know dough to make naan and you guys are actually making it in this location and the one downtown as yeah, well? Yeah, in all of our locations, we make dough from scratch every single morning. We cut it into little balls and weigh it out and, and roll it out from scratch with a rolling pin and slap it in a 600-degree tandoor oven. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's lined with clay, with a special kind of clay that's going to give it a unique texture and crust, kind of like a you know, wood-fired pizza oven. Pizza chefs will, will swear by whatever particular oven they've got that's going to impart a certain flavor to the crust. And it's the same with naan, too. You can't make naan without a tandoor. It's just not going to be the same. Yeah. No, and I, I think all those, like, burned parts of, of a piece of naan, dude, I'll, I'll, anybody who doesn't want them, I'll take them. <laughs> I see the, the, charred, the little charred parts are part of the, uh, part of the, the fun of getting a naan. It's, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be a little bit burnt on this spot and a little bit softer and doughier in this spot. Uh, and you've just got to embrace that and just use it to soak up all that all that gravy. Yeah. Amen. 
Yeah. Um, I think this is a perfect time because one of the other things I want to talk about is your mom's samosas. Mm. And uh, we're going to do something a little bit different on this episode. We're actually going to dial your mom on the phone. Let's give her so a call. Let's Neil, do it. Neil, let's give your mom a call. Mom's, uh, mom's really famous for those samosas. So, so she can tell you about them better than I can. That's amazing. So speaking of why you're getting your mom on the phone, so is your are, are your parents still in Nashville right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. They live in Nashville. Awesome. What part of Nashville do they live in? Brentwood. Brentwood, a little yeah, bit south of that's Nashville. great. I did an internship in Brentwood, okay. and I was there for probably like four or five months, and so lived really close to uh, Vanderbilt and Belmont, but made my way down to Brentwood, which I'd imagine Brentwood is probably something crazy. This was, that was probably back in 2007, so yeah. more than 10 years ago. So I'd dialing, imagine. are we good? Yeah, I think so. Here, let's right. get a little bit closer to the mic. Just if you got it on speakerphone, just like put it right up next to the mic, I wherever your wherever your speaker is on your phone. Yep. Hey, mom. What makes your samosas so much spe- more special than all the other ones we've had? Because it's my mom's recipe. That's awesome. She, she's the one who taught me how to make the samosas. What, uh, how old were you? How old were you when you first started making samosas? How old were you? Yeah, how old were you? Uh, I would say I was in the 10th grade. In the 10th grade. So you've yeah. been, so you've been, uh, yeah, tell her, so she's been making samosas, I mean, longer than probably oh, anyone else. Longer than we've been alive. Yeah. <laughs> we've been making <laughs> samosas. Amazing. And, and you guys are making the same samosas here at all of your restaurants Yeah, today. we make, we make the same samosas. Um, you know, we took, and this is really, you know, we say everything is mom's recipe, but you know, really everything comes from her mom too. Yeah. That's so amazing. Everything's been passed down from so. our grandmother, our nani. Third to, generation. To now. mom and to us. So third generation recipes making it to Atlanta is, that's incredible. What's your mom's name? Mom, what's your name? <laughs> well, I, I can't hear you. Uh, my, mo- my mom's name is Poonam. Poonam? Poonam, yeah. Poonam. Poonam. <laughs> I, I absolutely love every one of your recipes that Neil and Samir have let me have, and your samosas are incredible. So thank you for everything. Oh, I- Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love your, I love your sons. I'm, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> we can, we can hang up here. Thanks, right. mom. Thanks, mom. Love you, mom. Appreciate it. <laughs> Bye. But I, I love that. I mean, I, I just love that she started making those recipes, not just her samosas. I mean, and mm-hmm. again, I think that's that's probably like the the flagship memory that I have of like the first couple times that like as I was getting to know you guys and visiting nonstop and like as we were just you know doing events together and all that kind of stuff but that's like the one thing that I remember but I mean I know that there's so much more depth and we could probably do another just podcast (laughs) episode talking about your family's history and your mom and like those are the kinds of things that that I just love to hear and how it's made it into your concept and um, it's just awesome. I just I just think it's super cool. So Thanks. I'm a Thanks. huge fan of Poonam, and like I I want to just you know I want to be the one to come raid the fridge at, at their house. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have that part of my story. When you come to yes. Nonstop, what you're doing is you're raiding my mom's fridge. That's, I love that's, that. That's pretty much the experience that we're going for. I love that. You guys could actually make that like a tagline of the business, like <laughs> Nonstop, come raid my mom's fridge. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But but you guys actually have some really cool news. I mean, like you you guys have grown this this. This concept, I mean, so here in Atlanta, when, when did when did your first location open downtown? Uh, August of 2012. August of 2012. We moved so to Atlanta from L.A. in January, or end of January, beginning of February in 2012, 
and opened up six months later in downtown. Yeah. So you guys are coming up on six years of being in yeah. business. Yeah. And you guys have grown from downtown, and we're sitting literally across the street from Tech Village here in Buckhead, right on Peachtree. And uh, and you guys are getting ready to open a third location pretty soon. Yeah, we're yeah. working on our third location. It's going to be an Atlantic Station opening later this year in the fall sometime. That's awesome. I, I was going to say, like, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be, you know, it, it's probably not a secret for a lot of people. I mean, if you're walking up and down Atlantic Station, you guys can see, you know, where, where the location's actually coming to. And I know, Samir, you and I were chatting about this a little earlier. Like, it's, it's such a breath of fresh air to see some really good mm -hmm. food coming to Atlantic Station. And, I mean, it's, it's fine. I, I think Atlantic Station has its place for, if you live in Atlanta, especially if you're visiting, like, it's a place that you'd go. It's a good place to hang out. But, you know, getting good food, like, it's, it's only just now getting to where I think you can unlock some flavor potential of yep. Atlanta, and now it's yeah. going to be available at Atlantic Station. They're, they're changing a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's new ownership in Atlantic Station. I think we had some of the same sort of skeptic, skepticism towards it at first, yeah. too, that... Uh, when they built it, it kind of seemed like a suburban strip mall plopped down in the middle of Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and, and they're doing a whole lot more interesting over there. Um, there's going to be a bunch of new, kind of a lot of the more tired, older, suburban-ish, chainy kind of restaurants are moving out. And, um, you know, there's some homegrown pho from uh, Beaufort Highway, Pho 24 coming up and and, that, uh, and that's unreal i mean to, to, there's to know poke, that there's non-stop there's hobnob is great yeah, a great yeah. tavern uh i love to go to they're they're coming in over there as well and then there's cool just like a bowling alley and yeah other I mean, fun things to do it's it, it's really going to be a different place a year from now but look at what you guys are on the forefront of i mean you guys are like on the forefront of like the wave of change that's making atlantic station something that i think people are going to want to go to now you know, I mean, mm -hmm. imagine, you know, I mean, five years ago, like you weren't getting a bowl of pho. Like yeah. you were going to the movies and someone was probably mad at you because like you took the parking space that they wanted. <laughs> and now like you can go get Indian food from your mom and her mom, like bringing those recipes to a place like Atlantic Station. And um, that's that's an incredible part of your guys' story. I love yeah, that, man. It's been we're really great to have our, our non-believers, as we call them, be so supportive <laughs> that, you know, they'll... There's puns everywhere. Puns <laughs> everywhere. You know, a lot of our, a lot of our fan base are... They were students at Georgia State. Now they're working in Buckhead. They eat with us because they work in Buckhead, and they're coming up here now too. Um, and it's it's great that our supporters have grown with us and continued to be loyal and, and made it possible. That's awesome. I love that. Um, I was gonna say I I know that, like kind of what's next for nonstop. I mean, you guys are opening location number three, and I wanted to ask you like, have you guys ever considered like throwing it back and opening another <laughs> uh, food truck for the business? <laughs> You know, we, we we've have. toyed with it a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, perhaps as a way to test out different parts of town. You know, where do we want to open a new location? Yeah. Or Virginia or Highland. Even <laughs> I don't live, I don't live there. I don't live there, but some people do. Even we've even toyed at like while a store is under construction, we can get a food truck and just park it out front, so people start to learn. Hey, there's a nonstop coming here, and we can start feeding people while the place is under construction. So we've, I mean. Everything's on the table. Yeah, and then to meet people where they are. Festivals, it's a lot of fun to have a food truck out at a festival. That was our favorite part of running them, uh, running the food truck back in L.A. Yeah. Um, having festivals or just uh, rolling up to all different kinds of special events or even just catering at someone's house or play office. Um, you know, those are all things that we've talked about and explored. And uh, I think you'll see it make a comeback at some point. Uh, but in the near, few, near term, 
we're working hard on Atlantic Station right now. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, I can't speak enough to just the, I mean, I I wouldn't want to imagine Atlanta without nonstop. And I, I don't go to the downtown location as much anymore. Uh, but this one, I mean, just because I've been like up and down, you know, this part of town. But I, I just love what you guys have created. I'm glad that it made its way from L.A. with a, a flaming fryer in the middle of <laughs> Santa Monica traffic. <laughs> Thank and, you. It made its way from Atlanta and especially just to... The, how thankful I am to your mom and her family for letting you guys bring these recipes to everybody in Atlanta. So, but we appreciate man, it. it I'm excited for you to check out the new store. We're gonna be doing yeah. some some fun different things too. Yeah. Um, we've got Indian ice creams now. Um, uh, is it ice cream walla? Ice cream walla. Yes. Yeah. Shout out to those guys. Yeah. Uh, it's an awesome. Dude. Great product, dude. Like, grass fed uh, Georgia Georgia milk. Um, and I, I am not, I will be very honest on this show. I mean, I've, I've interviewed pastry chefs and everybody. Like, I am not a huge sweets person. I'm always going to go the savory route. But um, when something's done really well, mm-hmm. you know, like you can just really tell. I mean, I, I've tried four or five different flavors now. And every single one of them, like, I need to stop eating this because <laughs> yeah. I, could, I could eat the entire pint. Yeah. And it, but it's just because it's so complex and you're eating these flavors, like a masala flavor in ice cream mm-hmm. is like, wow. It, it works, man. It works. And they're, and they're, and they're so two, dedicated. They're two yeah. brothers. They're two, two brothers, brothers Indian, young Indian brothers oh, who perfect. are trying to bring ice cream in the way they know it to people in Atlanta. Uh, one of them went to, has a degree in ice cream science from Cornell so we're really proud to feature that. Um, we're we're making some. Uh, we're making going to be making all of our sodas by hand nice. at the new location. Very so cool. So we've got some cool flavors like rose cardamom soda and um, bringing some some throwback drinks from India like Nimbupani, which is like yes. a little bit sweet, a little bit salty Indian lemonade. Yeah. Another shout out to to some friends over at Chaipani. That was the first place I ever even experienced. Well, something like thumbs up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nimbupani. Like yeah. so that's yeah. it's like that salty somewhat but it's like the perfect summer beverage yeah. it really is but it really is. yeah it's uh that's an amazing beverage but man there's there's so much that we're gonna have to like catch up and do another episode of the show when you guys actually yeah you'll have get, to come by to, to, to try the uh the cocktail menu uh, once yeah. we get up i'll be there don't yeah. worry especially like i mean there's, there's gonna be everything under one roof i'm not gonna have to go too far right but, but man neil samir it was such a pleasure having you guys on the show thank you guys thank so you. much for for chatting with me for a little bit thank you so much yeah. it's been a pleasure yeah Many thanks go out to Neil and Samir for joining me here on the show. And like we talked about during the episode, these guys are getting ready to open their third location at Atlantic Station here in the next couple of months. So get excited just as much as I am. And if you haven't had a chance to check these guys out in Buckhead or downtown just yet, get over there and have the best damn samosa you're going to have in your entire life. And speaking of samosas, that also brings up many thanks go out to Neil and Samir's mom for joining us during the interview. Such an honor and such an amazing thing to have here on the Atlanta Foodcast. It was really, really, really fun. And we are truly a richer city for having that family recipe for that samosa here in our very own city. So thanks again, mom. Which brings us to the end of this week's episode. But until next time, I cannot wait to bring you guys more stories from local chefs, culinary entrepreneurs, and people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Thanks again for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast.